Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Hello, folks. I know it's going to be strange for you because you'll be like, he's like Tom, but he's not like Tom. (laughs) And we're both like our dad. Uh, So that's where the ancestral line and mannerisms come from. I am very pleased to be here today, and I'm having a good look at you now. And for the last few years, you've had the benefit of my brother, and you are lucky to have him. And I can say that as his brother. He is a phenomenal Class A human being. He's a good guy. And whilst you have him, we don't in England. So we carry the, and Josie and all the kids, all of it. So uh, I'm really pleased to be here today and see the community that is starting to form. (laughs) Things are happening. This is a great building. Photos don't do it justice, actually. And Tom had told me about you bunch of nomads. He'd said that you'd moved from place to place. And something really special happens when you have a building. But I think sitting here today, I would encourage you to think of it more, less of a building and more of a boat. More of a boat, because you're going to go to vast, strange stores in this boat shores you're going to go to uh, hopefully you'll sail to Byzantium on occasion as WB8 says but a boat needs sailors boat needs sailors so my I do feel compelled to say that wonderful though this is it's also fragile and whoever isn't here today really I would encourage you to regard this as a kind of Camelot this is a place you can put your heart your soul your labor Uh, My way into the Christian journey um, more recently has been through orthodoxy. And I was talking to a man called Father Perforius the other day, my uh, learned (laughs) Gandalf-esque spiritual teacher. And it was very interesting because I I come from a sort of a branch of Christianity where they really smother on the, we're just so pleased to see you, God has brought you here, da-da-da-da-da. And he was more like, okay, are you actually going to show up? Are you actually going to show up? Because reliability, church can't be dependent on how you feel about it. Can't even be dependent necessarily on an emotional high. Uh, It's going to ask something of you. So that's my first thought is just uh, to encourage everybody, but a boat needs sailors. Here endeth the lesson. So I am flying out tonight back back to Britannia. And when I leave San Francisco, I will be 50. And when I arrive at Heathrow, I'll be 51. It's all happening somewhere above Greenland. (laughs) Uh, But although I grew up in a a Christian home with Tom and our beloved sister Anna, uh, I, about 17, there was something, the, the Christianity I'd been exposed to felt very domestic. It felt very neutered. It didn't seem to have a contemplative tradition that I could get my teeth into. Uh, And it felt too compromised. 
it felt that we were bending over backwards to appease uh, the current condition of the earth that's actually in a pretty ungodly state. And so at 17, I thought, I don't want to hear about any of this anymore. And I set out on my own journey and all my own misfortunes and occasional triumph. Now, over the years, I have been something called a mythologist, which is somebody that studies and interprets old stories. I've been a writer, I'm probably best known as a writer these days, and also an oral storyteller. And I have taught at Stanford down the road for the best part of the last 10 years. I come over and do a semester every now and then. And I have had a life that has felt spiritually engaged, deep, rich, a lot of the myths and stories have shown me how to behave. The myths have shown me uh, a lot about the conditions of living, but none of them showed me quite how to live in the way that the Beatitudes do. And I think I avoided Christ because the bar was simply so high and was so difficult and so subtle and Christ seemed like this thin-skinned, strange, prophetic, burning wheel just moving through and unsettling communities. Uh, someone said to me the other day, God loves an outlaw. God loves an outlaw. And I got to about 50. Actually, it was just before 50. And I decided that at the end of my 40s, which had been very hard for me, I wanted to go out on uh, a vigil. So for 101 days, without, uh, without backing out at any point, I just visited a local forest at dusk. And my background is in something called Wilderness Rites of Passage. So you go out and sit on a hill for four days and nights like the desert fathers and the desert mothers and the desert sisters and the, hopefully the desert babies used to do. <laughs> I haven't heard of the desert babies, but maybe today here, seeing your little ones. So I went out for 101 days, did not know what was going to happen. The whole idea behind it was to give thanks and to be receptive, not telling a forest what it is not telling the earth what it is. And as I went deeper and deeper into this experience, uh, I started to become troubled because every now and then I would have a dream and within the dream, something that was very similar to Christ was starting to show up. And I thought, well, that can't be right. <laughs> Let's leave that alone. And on the last night of the vigil, in the center of the forest, there's an old Celtic hill fort, an Iron Age fort, and it was about minus five, it was properly cold. And I went out because I was thrilled that the thing was almost over. I wasn't fasting, I had a full belly, I was good to go, I was just there to bear witness and leave. And I was looking up into the night sky, uh, and coming to the end of this thing, and I, and I just sort of said out loud, if there's some final signal you need to give me, I'm, I'm, I'm yours, you know, after 101 days. As I stood there, it appeared small at first in the sky. Some of you are lucky enough to know what the Aurora Borealis looks like, those colors. We don't get the Aurora Borealis in Devon, England, I promise. But this thing just appeared in the darkness 
and grew bigger and bigger. It looked a bit like a kite. It just sort of expanded out and it was these wonderful colours of kind of a, a light purple and a green and a white. It grew bigger until it became like an arrow. And I am not uh, remotely, I hadn't been gobbling on ayahuasca. There was no hallucinatory <laughs> element to my can. I'm just standing there with a belly full of English tea going, this cannot be happening. <laughs> and the, it just fell into the ground about 10 foot away from me. I'm telling you the truth. It just fell into the ground. Uh, and I knew I was, in the, I was in the vibration of the miraculous. And I danced for the rest of the night. You never see me dance. <laughs> As I got home, I got into bed, and just as I was closing my eyes, nine words appeared very, very strangely, just for a minute in front of my eyes closed, and it said this, and this is an odd statement, inhabit the time and genesis of your original home. Inhabit the time and genesis of your original home. Well, I don't need to tell you that the, word, the moment you hear the word Genesis, I broke out in a sweat. <laughs> Please, no, not that. Uh, and then I suppose I spent, immediately we went into COVID, actually, that's what happened. But I spent a lot of that time chewing on that strange sentence, thinking about the fact that I had had a kind of bona fide Old Testament experience out in the wood. And I didn't know what any of it meant. Until somewhere in the middle of last year, as I was uh, gearing up for 50, looking at the detritus of my 40s, I had a dream. And in the dream, it was the First World War, and I was in the trenches. And I was there, and I was a, a private, I was a soldier, and I was with a captain. And I knew immediately, in some terrifying way, that the captain was Yeshua. I knew who I was, I knew who it was. And he pointed to my arm and he said, let's look at your arm. And he said, he said, he said, you've been through an awful lot. You've been through an awful lot. And look at, look at what's happened to your arm. And I looked at it because it was all kind of misshapen. And he said, you've done the most beautiful job of trying to fix your own arm. And I, I, I bless you for that. But if you want, right now, I can really fix it. But to fix it, I'm gonna have to break it. And if you've suffered already, the notion of, of, of more of, it, it's terrifying terrifying but even in a dream I knew an offer like that was not to be refused so my strange little arm came out and actually if it hurt it hurt only for a second and I woke up and I knew enough that if these kind of dreams continued there was an appointment that I needed to make and they did continue and I had the strangest experience that Yeshua, Jesus Christ, was speaking to me from the deep interior, not from something far away, not from some planet behind Pluto, not from some idea of heaven that is terribly difficult for most of us to hold on to, but was closer than my own breath. And 
almost a year ago to the day I surrendered I surrendered and I allowed what needed to announce itself to step forth and I said you steer the ship now you steer the ship then I experienced maybe some of you have gone through this a sort of brief period of elation uh, it was very unanticipated I was simply in a good mood for about four months <laughs> and then of course the consequence that comes with being a Christian arrived the friendships that went up in smoke the misunderstandings the uh, loss of a readership the loss of a publisher uh, and you begin to become aware yeah there's a there's a cost attached to this but you know it's funny isn't it you hear the phrase sometimes that uh, as human beings we are meaning making people we search for meaning most of us are looking for meaning but sometimes I feel that there's an implication in that that we create the meaning in other words it's a sort of a defense against the neurosis of existence it's just too frightening not to, to make stories up but I never believed that I think there is a field of meaning that is so devastating and so deep we're almost afraid to go there there's more meaning than we can handle and that's been my experience moving in moving into Christianity in the last year I knew at some point I would have to be baptized and I knew at some point that I would um, because of my particular it would kind of become public and I knew uh, from you know examples like Paul that I needed time where that wasn't happening I needed to be underground with it because honestly my experience of Christ's arrival has not been necessarily that reassuring it's like being picked up like a hawk that's how I feel most of the time and when you're picked up by a hawk you get the most extraordinary views but it's kind of frightening mm -hmm. because you're simply not in control I, uh, I often come back to the image of Christ in the temple it was always my favorite image when I was a little one of the you know the money lenders well I have felt for the last year like I'm that temple getting a tremendous spiritual audit and there's lots of rooms I don't want Christ to go in I don't want him to go into the dungeon oh, not that I have a dungeon <laughs> metaphore 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 uh, I, you, you, you understand what I'm saying the level of the exposure is so profoundly bracing uh, I needed I knew in the Christian home that I was going to find something that was five fathoms deep that had as much attention to silence in it as it did to words and so I've been looking up into lots of different churches and I grew up in the church but I found a place where I feel really at home actually and uh, myself and Tom and John uh, we were out actually at uh, the Orthodox Cathedral that you have uh, and if ever you're just you know this is a wonderful place it's a wonderful environment but uh, it's an extraordinary place to visit that cathedral you can just slip into the darkness pay attention you don't have to do anything so here you find me I am a Christian with a learner plate on my theology is adrift I spent much more of my life as a, a pirate than a preacher I can assure you of that and I rail 
I rail, I rail against some of the things that my Christian life uh, causes me to do, which is like be pleasant to other people and attend to the poor and all of this kind of, kind of, you know, peculiar stuff. It's a wonderful time. So anyway, that's a little bit about me. Do you want to ask a question? Anything you'd like me to respond to? Anything you want to say? Because I, I wrote, I continue to write, and I have a, a sub-stack thing called House of Beasts and Vines, which is the best way of finding out. And the work just had taken on, do you know, the world loves you when you're a spiritual seeker. It doesn't love you when you find something. That was the problem. That was the problem. And I, you may not notice, but I'm careful with my language. One of the things that I don't want to fall into, because I'd seen it before in my life, was, uh, you know, you can take on so much terminology. Jungians do it. Uh, all sorts of folks do it. You, you fall into a patter, uh, and in the end, it displays a little lack of imagination. One of the things that I'm excited by is I grew up in a house where there was a tremendous emphasis on belief now I do believe I am a Christian in that way and I believe that Jesus was here and all of that took place not as a symbolic experience although that's contained within it I think it actually happened as as we read it I'm a scriptural you know I'm a gospel-based Christian but at the same time I sometimes wonder if as Christians we could do a bit better with our imagination the Christian imagination and as a mythologist one of the things I'm very excited about is there are hundreds if not thousands of stories of um, wild old women and saints and hermits going out and speaking to Christ across species speaking to Christ so in other words this is tremendous ecological message in Celtic spirituality for example and you don't need to cling on to it like a literal event in the way you may read the Gospel of Mark, but it really, really has some good stuff in it. It's filled with soul, it's filled with nutrition. So I'm very passionate about, in a strange way, Christianity holding those stories. You can hold them lightly, you can hold them lightly, but they have real power and they're really, they have a strong ecological message. And to answer your question, to come back to your question, I started to write about this stuff and it was just too hot for the publisher. And, you know, again, I'm a fledgling, so I may feel differently about it. I may have deepened into it in a year. It may have been that the writing simply wasn't very good. I don't know. You talk about orthodoxy and at the same time mentioned five fathoms deep, there's loads of depth. Yeah. Great question. Uh, and I feel like you're talking, for me, one of the things entering Christianity is the relationship between innovation and tradition. You know, Holy Spirit goes where it will, but also, you know, certain things that have worked for a really, really long time. 
Now, mercifully, it's not my job to defend the last 2,000 years of Christianity. I know you're not expecting me to do that. But that was one of the first things I had to realize is that you, you know, it's not your business to be clobbered over the head with other people's fallibility. You know, I feel that every generation has to sort of rediscover the material, rediscover the mandate, do what we will. And the most beautiful phrase for me, again, you know, I think it's Paul is, you know, put on the mind of Christ because you will be falling into the mind of Christ and there is no bottom. It is so deep. So for me, um, I had, I'd been to, uh, I'd been to a Baptist church and I did have, I've had thousands and thousands of hours in church already and just nothing had happened. Simply nothing had happened. Uh, and after my baptism, I was baptized by the way in the River Dart in the middle of winter, uh, the, really pretty much the bottom of garden where, bottom of the garden where I was living. Uh, my priest, who is, he's more like, he's more goat than man. You can find, he's more goat. Imagine this, imagine this, the night before I'm baptized, all my friends are gathered to think, Martin has gone crazy. And he comes in, there's a knock at the door, and the guy they're expecting, they're expecting Billy Graham to turn up. And this guy turns up, you know, half tree, half owl, and he looks at them, and his finger comes out, and he says, Christianity is a wilderness religion. And you just felt everybody go, okay we're, we're heading into new terrain now we're feeling you know you're feeling your wingspan the poet Rilke says wherever you are folded there you are a lie wherever you are folded there you are a lie so I really wish most of all for sanctuary that it gets its full wingspan hence the sailors so back to orthodoxy I went to other I went to places they were familiar all the experiences were positive and then I came to a mall you all know what a shopping mall is we have them they're not as uh, statuesque as the massive ones you have here but we I entered a mall in Exeter and at the center of the mall there was a tiny 8th century Anglo-Saxon church and I walked into that church and they it was an Orthodox church and it was something called the Divine Liturgy and for the you don't sit down. It's interesting, a friend of mine said, I'd like to sit down. And the priest said, oh, so when you meet the creator of the universe, you want to be sitting on your ass, is that right? Uh, <laughs> he said, okay, I'm never gonna ask that question again. Up he got. So we, we all stand up, and there's all these old little Russian women, and, and they just stand for hours. It's, it's you know, they, they show up. Um, so anyway, and I will wind this up because I know we've got to keep moving. Um, I entered an almost aboriginal experience of Christianity. And when I say aboriginal, the indigenous religion of Britain is orthodoxy. Catholicism and the rest of it is a kind of exfoliation from it. So in the one hand, I was entering something very, very old. And this is hard for me to explain, so stay with me. Over that two hours, as the liturgy processed, and not once did the priest turn to me and say, how are you doing? Donut? It just, it, it never came to pass. And I like donuts, the Shores love donuts. He didn't even look at me. 
But it was as if every 15 minutes that passed, one doorway after another after another opened into what I can only describe as a kind of Christian dreaming that took me right back to the stable, right back to the babe that was born in the glow of animals. And I was so shattered when I came out of that, back into the shopping mall, uh, I, I, I almost crashed actually. And the guy was beeping at me and I had to wind the window down and said, I've just been to church. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so that's my experience of, uh, of orthodoxy. Look, I don't want to overrun. Any other questions, thoughts? Well, well, first of all, the caveat, of course, is not all Christians have lost their imagination, but it's something for us just to be aware of, I think. And of course, you know, um, there's so many variants of the word Christian, you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands of different, of different ways in. Uh, one of the things, I'm going to quote an old Catholic mystic called John Moriarty from Ireland, uh, whose work, I've just done an anthology of his work if you're interested. And he said, modern Christianity is in danger of losing its bush soul. Bush, B-U-S-H. And also I'm thinking of burning bush at this moment. In other words, it's lost its weird. It is too compromised. It is too anaesthetized. It's too chloroformed. It's too white. It's too domestic. And so one of the things that I would invite all of us to do is go out and see what your relationship to Christ is like after a couple of days without food in the wild. Don't go on your own, please. <laughs> go with a professional, go with a wilderness vigil guide. But whilst it is wonderful to have this kind of intimacy, you will know as well as I do that the Bible, I mean, Jesus would slip out of camp before anybody had woken up. He was out there in places that people thought had real spook attached to them. There's just a different way in which Christ often speaks through the living world. So that's something we can do. Just get in touch with your bush soul again. Be outside more. And when I first received that kind of mandate years ago, I lived in a city. So you don't necessarily, although it can be great to get out, find a park, find one square foot of earth if you need it, and you say, I'm going to keep turning up which actually this is a good question because you're reminding me and i know i've been banging on about this this morning to do with the notion of a boat and sailors a big word i think for us as christians is fidelity fidelity and the way indigenous cultures have always approached this extraordinary earth that god has created for us is that it seeks to be admired by us so one of the things that you can do when you leave sanctuary today and make it a habit on your way home, find something that touches you and praise it. I'm not, re I'm not referring to worshipping a tree, but praising a tree. If you can make a rowan tree blush, I'll take you for a pint. And I swear it can happen. When those little, when those little, those little berries go red, they're like, thank you for noticing. 
it's a, it's, it's a, so I, I think that would be a wonderful thing. I think all Christian fellowships for one year should take an animal as a teacher. Just, again, I'm not suggesting you worship the animal. Study the animal. Just do that. Just, the Bible is a phenomenal thing. We can't be without it. Human community is a phenomenal thing. But as we know, in the first 300 years of the Christian church growing, a lot of emphasis, especially when Christianity came to Ireland, and it didn't come, Christianity didn't arrive in Ireland on the tip of a spear. It arrived on the tip of a tongue. It arrived with conversation, and that's partially why it's so sweet. So get in touch with your bush soul, I would say. Uh, I've resonated with the word you said, or the phrase you said. It was something like, uh, the world loves seekers, spiritual seekers. Yeah, don't like finders. finders. <laughs> uh, and then kind of the, the what, what, uh, some of the ideas that you're sharing resonated with when Julian Adams was here. He was, he's church planting in Boston, and he said, we've, we've structured our services so that people have to make a real choice. That's it. When they come in, it, it's different. In the world, yeah, and they should experience that because they got to choose. Do they want the this lot? Do they want to actually? Do, anyway, I'm curious. I know you're familiar with this area. You've spent yeah, Stanford. I, I feel like in San Francisco uh, that there are a lot of spiritual seekers, and it's also blended with this intellect, intellectual pursuit. Um, and I'm just curious. I feel like you, you know, if, if you were Thomas here and you know. And saying, how do we, like, what would be your encouragement for us um, if we really want to help people encounter the Jesus? Because your story was, Jesus had to find me. You know, it wasn't the church that did a big show or anything. But we're, we want to, you know, we were here for a reason. We mm. want to demonstrate. Do you have any encouragement holding those tensions? Probably just make it harder. <laughs> just make it harder for people just raise the bar a bit you know don't be so accommodating I know that sounds completely counterintuitive uh, but I'm I'm just being you know frank so for example the reason I say that is my father Pephorius I'm like I've been coming for five months father Pephorius are we not going to make a move towards me becoming orthodox and he's like haven't made my mind up yet and I'm like now nah, now I'm interested now I'm keen. You will forgive me. Again, you know this better than I do. What did the early Christians have? What was, the, what was their USP in the early days? It was not actually dazzling apologetics. It was lifestyle and it was story. They had the best story. They had a story that liberated women. They had a story that liberated slaves. They had a story that liberated the underclass and the you know rome could not have been more corrupted at that exact moment so i would i would ask you remember your story you got the best story and also in those early days it wasn't necessarily that easy to become a christian you actually had to turn and really you had to you know you reveal your hand by your attendance you reveal your hand by actually showing up and doing the work so to be honest you could flood this room you could fill this room with certain you know you could be on my beloved daughter 
informed me while I've been here in the middle of COVID. She'd done a video of her friend cooking a meal for 15 seconds and 465,000 people had watched it. But you can fill this room, but then this room will be empty again. And then if this is the body of Christ, you've let a toxin in. You've let in something that's not really, is it, it's still spiritual tourism. So quite honestly, I, I'm just being candid and I may be wrong, my personal opinion is uh, value yourself, value what you're making and make it be, be like one of those restaurants that has one meal, but it's the best meal in the world. <laughs> I, I've been building a community for 20 years uh, and it's taken, we have about regularly sort of 60 to 70 people and I began with three uh, and I was quite happy with three rather than you know superficial hallucinatory uh, amounts of people just just it'll it'll happen it'll happen but that move from a candle to a fire is something that requires everybody uh, a leader no matter how charismatic isn't going to pull it off for you and that's one of the things I was so touched actually by your beautiful worship at the beginning and the prayers actually before some of you turned up we can't do anything we're, we're just we're just you know it's Christ has to do this and then we have to respond and put the, the heavy lifting in as best we can but I, I should get off this stage and, and let it be or this place yeah thank you for having me thank you. Oh, I've got your little mic thing. <laughs>